Okay, well, hey, here we are back again, and we are continuing our study on the book of Acts. We are currently in Acts chapters 8 through 14, had some great discussions uh, last week, and we're going to jump right back in. So um, anything that stood out to you guys as you've been reading this? I was going to say King Herod's gruesome death. Yeah. Okay, so that's Acts chapter 12, verse 20. And I thought this is very important. Uh, important to point out. I've noticed in my um, reading of the Bible in its whole that there are very few instances where God strikes people down like instantly, right? Where there's like a a severe, horrific um, execution is what I'll call it, right? Like Aaron's sons, right? Who offered the wrong kind of fire before the altar of God and they were just consumed or the person who wouldn't take on the husbandly duty, right? And was struck by lightning. <clears throat> Another example is Ananias, as we see, with his wife, where they were skimming off the top and keeping money for a sold piece of land. And they're, I think it's Peter says, you know, you, you didn't lie to us. You lied to God, right. you know? And then boom, they drop dead, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my gosh. And then we see this here again in Acts 12. And because they're so few and far between, I wonder, like, what separates these people's sins, right, from my own sins when I fall short, when I gossip, or, you know, whatever the case is, when I have foolish talk, apart from God's rich mercy and patience with me, you know? And I know in the scriptures it says that, like, that we're kind of like these clay vessels, and God is like the potter, like he's the craftsman who makes these pots, and some vessels are for sacred use, and others are for common use, right? And he's the one who decides what the use is for. And if he wants to take a common use vessel and he wants to make it a holy sacred use vessel, he can do that because he's the potter. And who are we? We're just the clay, right? Right. So it it got me thinking like that, but I will read from um, Acts 12, verse 20 downward. Like I said before, mine's titled Herod's Gruesome Death. Now he was very angry with the Tyrians and the Sidonians, so they came to him with one purpose, and after persuading Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country was supported with food from the king's country. And so on an appointed day, Herod, after putting on royal clothing and sitting down on the judgment seat, began to deliver a public address to them. But the people began to call out loudly, the voice of a god and not of a man. And I'm going to pause there because this is one of those times where whenever God is mentioned in the Bible, there's the capital G. But when you see this here, when the people are shouting out that he's a God, you're seeing it written in a lowercase g. And I think it's very important to point that out, especially if someone has never heard this idea that God is supreme and sovereign. And so we always put the capital G for his name. And whenever it's talking about Satan being the God of this world or this age, it's a lowercase g or any kind of other ruler, be it a Caesar or King Herod, it's always a lowercase g. <clears throat> but I'll continue on. But the, but the people began to call out loudly, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give the glory to God, capital G. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. And I think that's, it's just one section. It's like a paragraph or two where you see him being struck down. Now, I don't know if this wording is like he was struck down and then worms immediately consumed him, 
but that's what it would lead me to believe. That's what I always assumed, but, you know, it could have been just, like, the beginning of the end, too, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it could have been, like, he died, and then he went into the earth, and over, but it's also, like... Or, or he got, like, sick there, and it was, you know, over the period of, like, I don't know if he dropped dead instantly or, or not. Or, I don't right. know. Yeah, yeah. But when I read it, my initial reaction is... He is struck because it says immediately right. the word immediately an angel of the Lord struck him dead. Yeah, you know. So to me, it sounds very. That, quick that is and, how it seems. Concise, yeah. So, but anyways, that stood out to me because yeah. I just was like, in what other instances does an angel come and take life like that? Right. So I thought about the Passover lamb and I thought about the angel of death because of Pharaoh's curse. And then I again I started thinking about all these other people because it seems so harsh. It's like someone in the crowd shouted it, and all Herod had to do was say, "Well, I'm not God. You know, you guys know that I'm just the right, ruler right. because he put me in power." But that doesn't sound very Herodian, if you will. Right. Mm. Which, which oddly strange, and I think these guys remember it, is that you weren't here last week, and that was the exact thing that I brought up last week. Yep. Well, then there we go. That's like where we finished, I and was, we need to start I'm here. Listening, yeah. I'm going, is this deja vu? And I'm willing to listen. I said, okay, Johnny was right on the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I brought that up last week, and, and actually I'm glad that you brought it, because I'm willing to talk about it again. Uh, here, here you have Herod, and, and, and his impiety is what kills him here. He accepts uh, what, what I would call idolatrous honors from people without refuting them and giving, as you said, and as I noted last week, the glory to God. Now, contrast that where Peter is greeted by some people and they and they and they want to give him they want to kneel down was it cornelius is that it one they want to kneel down in front of him yeah. and, and he says get up am i correct is that it well i, I don't know if yeah cornelius I, I believe did but then also there was paul uh before he got stoned um they were trying to that was what the in Athens, but yeah, Peter, well, I believe yeah, Cornelius yeah, did yeah, as well. Right. When, when he first showed up there, they yeah, wanted to bow down to him. He said, get up, and we yeah. could go back and refer yeah, to that. Yeah, so yeah, he says, yeah, a, a contrast, he says, get up, I'm not, God, nothing, he did not want, I think it was him and someone else, uh, and, and excuse me for not remembering exactly, but I thought of that as Johnny's talking, I said, wait a minute, I didn't mention that last week. Here you have a contrast. Yeah, this fell to his feet and worshiped him. Sorry, yeah, is, yeah is you're right. Yes, so it, it yep. is right there? Yep. Okay. Yep. Chapter 10, verse uh, 25. All right, so in chapter 10, for anybody who's following along with us here, Peter shows the way you should do. You, you should act in a situation like that, which is you don't get glory. Nobody should kneel down in front of us. Nobody should kneel down in front of him, as he said. But here's Herod. He just, he, you know, these kings, some of these kings of old, and probably even today, you know, take this type of glory for themselves. Yeah. And that's idolatrous because, uh, well, we see what happened to him here. And maybe God, you know, the vengeance doesn't come uh, all the time. But that type of vanity, uh, from what I have seen, makes you in various ways, not maybe death, immediate death, but it makes you ripe for vengeance. Uh, if you act like that, if you are going to, uh, what is the word? We always talk about pride. Right. If you are going to have that kind of pride and vanity, you are ripe for for for, uh, for vengeance here. So anyway, uh, we 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 don't want to sow the seeds of our own demise, but they are within us if we act like that. Pride, it's uh, it's that common uh, common thread throughout the Bible, right? I mean, it's like. God resists the proud. There's no other sin that God says that he resists like that. But pride, and he resists that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that each of us stores up wrath with God. 
Like, you know, you come home, you take the change out of your pants pockets or something like that, and you throw it into a little change jar or piggy bank or whatever, and you're storing it up so you can go to, I don't know, a coin star, donate it, or whatever you want to do, cash it in for bills. And it's like the same thing with our sins with God. It's like there is a record of our wrongs, right? If you're not in right relationship with God, right? God does not, God does not want us to keep committing acts of evil as we're here. The problem is, is when we redefine what evil is, like we redefine what love is, like we redefine what marriage is, like we redefine what justice is. All these, all these Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I quote it all the time, lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge God in all your ways. So when you're not acknowledging God's definitions of words and how to live, you'll come up with your own. And if that's not playing God, then I don't know what is. So you store up this wrath because you, you exile God out of your life, you kick him out of your life where now you're, you, you exchange his sovereignty for you being on the throne of your life. Mm. Jesus isn't Lord. God's not Lord. You're Lord. And you decide what you're going to do. Mm. And in these leaning on your own understanding, you start to slip up. And not in your own eyes. You think you're doing everything great in your eyes, which is what's so funny. It's like being like a little kid who doesn't know any better. Right. You know, like, I'll give you the perfect example. When my kids were little and they would draw on the walls. Mm. And I would always encourage them. I'm an artist. I'd be like, oh, it's a beautiful picture on a piece of paper. On a paper we're, making, we're doing an arts and crafts project. But then, <laughs> then you come home or you walk into the room and you're like, what are you doing? Yeah. We just that's fresh paint. We just painted these walls. What happened? Yeah, and it's like it's like it's a mess. But you said it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in their minds, they're like, "Look, look, Daddy, look what I made for you." And I'm just like, "Your mother's yeah. gonna kill me." Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so in our own eyes, we think what we're doing is right. There's even a Bible scripture that says that it says there's a way that seems right to a person, yeah. but it leads to death. And that's what I think a lot of the problem is, whether you want to call it pride or vanity or whatever else, you end up storing up all this wrath with God. And we've painted, we've created a false God. The God of the Bible is a God of wrath. He's a God of love too, but he's also a God of wrath. And so like we, we come up with this version of God that's okay with all of our sins. He's okay with me being in charge of my, he's going to, I heard God is love from some Christian. So it's fine. He's, everyone dies and goes to heaven, don't they? Isn't earth hell? No. No, earth is not hell. Earth is a gift. Your life is a gift. And the God of the Bible, you store up wrath with him because if he doesn't administer justice to your sin, then he's not a holy God. And that's the problem, in my opinion, with so much of what I've been learning over the past few years is, and I I don't want to bully because you hear this all the time, oh, the church in the West or the American church. I'm not trying to bully anybody, but we got to preach God is holy. And we got to preach set apartness. And we have to preach why the good news is so good which is we can't do it alone. We were never intended to, to do it alone. He loves us and he wants to be our parent and he wants to show us how to do it right. But if we don't swallow our pride and start to follow him, yeah. I mean, think about all the, like people just innately want to follow, right? Yeah. You want to follow people. You want to follow, oh, that's the popular, you know, in my case, tattoo artist, or that's the popular pastor, or that's the popular business person, or it's the popular whatever it is. And so you follow these people on social media or you follow, like you read the tabloids, your favorite celebrities, and you care so much about their lives when they could care less about you. It's like, who is somebody worth following? Show me one person worth following. It's Jesus. Every time Jesus is the answer. So yeah. as we're pouring through this and we're talking about all this stuff, it's just what's coming to mind. So, Well, it's, it's helping me think about, you know, many plans, you know, in a man's heart, but it's the Lord who establishes the steps to get there. And if you... Uh, uh, in chapter 12, just before verse 20, you see the escape that Peter had out of the, you know, prison. And then when Herod had found out that he was, he was gone, he killed all those guards. 
and then to be seen as a god the next day and then to take that in like i can't help but to think that that's not a, that's not a part of god's plan for you to do all those malicious evil things like he was brutal obviously that was his last act before being uh you know given this disease i, I don't know i, I don't want to think i guess my my own selfish desire doesn't want to think that he was struck quickly and died quickly because if this was like a you know he was he was instantly given a sickness maybe it, i would i would want to hope that it took a long time <laughs> you want to suffer it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. wow really yeah well, I just no did. mercy, huh? Yeah, no mercy. <laughs> no mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're gonna shift into some group counseling for Lydia. Yeah, please. <laughs> to see somebody die yeah. slow, to be slow fair, and painful. To be fair, he, he he did he did try to kill baby Jesus. Yeah, yeah. He did kill Jesus' brother James. It's a different a different one, yeah, different different Caesar. Yeah, yeah, different hair. But anyhow. Um, you know, we're talking about pride. I, I want to I want to back up just a little bit here to uh, to Cornelius, right? Because he's uh, another one who had the ability to be proud. Because I mean, here he is. He's a Roman officer, and so he's somebody that's probably higher up um, in, in the the ranks. I mean, definitely was paid more than an average uh, Roman soldier, which they weren't, you know, paid poorly. But um, the Roman soldier, I mean, I think the officers they. I read something about like how they would be like I think the officers were paid two to three times what like a soldier would make or something like that. I mean, so they they were well off. Uh, this guy is um, reputable. Uh, Peter, as we talked about last week, Johnny, you weren't here last week with with this conversation, but Peter is currently staying uh, in Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, which again is just a weird situation because just by nature of him being there would make him unclean, being around the dead animals all the time. It was an unclean occupation, um, you know, because this this guy was basically taking one for the team. Um, and Peter's living there with him. So he's already kind of like, he's already kind of like taking a step into removing himself from the, the, the uh, all the rules and regulations of the, the Judaic, Judaic law. And then he gets the vision, right, of the, of the sheet. Um, well, that, that's here in, in chapter 10. But we see Cornelius, it says, you know, he's a devout God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household, and he gave generously to the poor. And then he has this vision um, about going and, get, and getting Peter. And again, just the humility there. And you see that contrasted with what we were just talking about with Herod, who Herod is like taking the credit upon himself. Um, it would have been acceptable for Cornelius to not... Um, not be interested in anybody else. I mean, he is, after all, I mean, he outranks everybody he's, you know, uh, living with. He he would, you know, why, why would he want this guy, Peter? But yet he sees God, the God, because he's a devout God-fearing man, which probably was in many ways countercultural, right? Because, I mean, the Romans, I mean, these were the, the emperor worshipers. I mean, that was kind of like the, the state religion, um, as far as I can tell. So it, you just see the contrast of, of, of Herod there accepting the uh, play, uh, the praise and the accolades of, of man. And then over here you see Cornelius, who's just kind of like saying, you know, I just want more of God. I know I've, I've reached probably what many people thought is the top, and it's not the top after all. I need mm. something else. So mm. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have any uh, thoughts or comments no, but on go, Going back to, again, there's a lot of contrast. You have Cornelius versus Herod. And as I had said, and as you would point out, Jude, I just want to read that line again uh, about uh, Peter versus Herod. So we're in chapter 10, uh, as, as Judas said. And if you read verse 25, as Peter entered the home of Cornelius, 
Cornelius fell at his feet, fell at Peter's feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up. He pulls this, this centurion up right. and he says to him, stand up. I'm a, and here, this is critical because Herod didn't do this. Right. He says, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So this is Peter who is revered throughout the Christian world at this point and still. But he says, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. And then it goes on to say, so they talked together. Another interesting point. Right. And I, I just glossed over that most of the times that I read this. But I'm looking at it, I'm saying, so they talked together. I, I, I should go back and get the, the, the actual translation to see what they meant there. But they talked together. This is Peter, who's a Christian, and Cornelius the centurion, as, as Judah just said, this is like an odd contrast. Yeah. Okay, but we're getting those odd contrasts because, again, as Jude alluded to, Peter was staying at uh, a tanner of Hyde, Simon there. So we're getting a lot of contrasts here. And, and I have a point on this. It, it, it didn't click in before, but it is now. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. So you have Herod who accepted the accolades as though he were God because they were calling, oh, God is speaking, God is speaking. And Peter, who says, I'm just a human being like you. No matter what I've done on here, I've, I've brought somebody back from, you know, from the dead. All glory belongs to God is what he's saying. We're not there yet. You know, I, and you, you guys, I'm sure, have read most of Acts. If not, you've read all of Acts. So this, to me, all, everything that's going on here, staying with the tanner, Simon the tanner, uh, Peter doing that, the dream he has, meeting with Cornelius, all of this is a prelude for chapter 15 when they, the council meets and they, and they make a, a major right. decision. I'm not going to jump into that right. yet because that's a very important chapter. And when we get to that, I want to dwell on that because that has you know, ramifications that you know, come down through to yeah. today. Well, and you know, Peter had to show some humility too um, in, in many ways because verse 28, he kind of lays it all out there, which is kind of like, kind of something that Cornelius could have taken offense to, I suppose. But verse 28, Peter told him, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even right. associate with you, right? So he's like throwing out there, he's like laying out the, um, the, the scenario there. And so for Peter to even be there, it's an act of, uh, certainly an act of obedience, but also an act of humility. Because if you, I'm gonna just jump back, chapter 10, verse nine. Okay, so Peter goes up on the roof, he's praying. He falls into a trance. But look at this. It says he sees the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. And look at verse 14. No, Lord. Gotta love Peter. Telling God to his face. Nope. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're God. dreaming. It's just like, I'm just trying to take a nap. Here's, here's God in Deuteronomy. <laughs> Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Do what I say. Peter's like, nope. <laughs> thanks. But I no know thanks. better than you. <laughs> right, right, right. I know the Bible. And, and, but <laughs> look at this. I just love this. The voice spoke again. Because oh, he's like, I've never eaten this. The voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision up was repeated three times. Stubborn, right? Good old Peter. <laughs> Good old Peter. Yeah, exactly. Peter, it's like, he's like, guys, okay, let's try this again. You ready, Peter? She comes down. Go kill and eat. Nope, not gonna do it. The second time he's like, nah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, let's do this again. Okay, Peter, you're ready this time. We're going to do this again. That sounds too familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so after all of that, <laughs> it's so funny. Verse 17, right? Peter was very perplexed. <laughs> what could this vision mean? <laughs> so, so I'm so glad you, you brought this it, up. What do you think it means, Peter? <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, I don't think he could have fi figured this out himself because it, it all ties in with, as it says, and again, we'd have to read the actual translation, but according to my book, it says, just after what you'd have read, the second part of 17 says, after Peter was perplexed, what could the vision mean? Just then... Right. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. And as Peter was still puzzling over the vision, this is chapter, uh, verse 19, the Holy Spirit said to him, Hey, three men are come looking for you. Go down, get up, go downstairs, go out with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I've sent for them. He gets an explanation is what I'm saying. He's still perplexed. He's still puzzled. And coincidentally, it God, three times, yeah, yeah, it only happened three times. God sends somebody, the Holy Spirit puts it on him to say, okay, you got to go with these people. And then he gets the solution to all this. And again, it's working up toward a, a culmination, a climax mm -hmm. as we get to 15. And this, this is what's so profound about this whole thing. So I used to um, question, right, this simple fact. You hear this said right jesus says that not one jot or tittle not one stroke of the law is going to go away right don't think that i came to abolish the law yeah i came to fulfill the law mm. right so jesus came to fulfill the law so this is a common teaching which we all have heard jesus came and fulfilled it because we couldn't do it so as you're reading through the scriptures and you meet a man named job he was blameless in his day well he seemed to be doing it, at least for a season right how about Zechariah in the beginning of the gospel according to Luke, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, yeah. they were blameless and righteous in God's eyes. They were walking, they were doing it at least for a season, right? So you see all these different people, at least for a season. David was a man after God's own heart up until he stumbled, right? So you see these people that you're like, well, Noah, Noah was blameless in his day. Or how about Enoch who was taken up by God, right? Or Elijah. So you're like, what's going on with these guys? So you're like, wait, is it possible to live a righteous life according to the law and actually obey all of them? And we're taught from teachers and from preachers and from pastors and from whatever, whatever you're consuming in Christian content that it can't be done and that Jesus is the only person who did it perfectly. And I, I really do believe that, that Jesus did it perfectly. I just don't know about these other people. Like, so I, that's why I do the little caveat of at least for a season when that scripture was recorded, right? Now, why is this significant? Because of the food laws. Because if Jesus was a Shabbat-keeping Jewish Hebrew Israelite, he would have abstained from all of those foods, right? He would have kept with all the festivals of the Old Testament. And yes, God is making all things new. This is the new covenant. And we know from Paul's immaculate writings, if you will, right, that we don't live under the law, but we live under grace, saved by grace through faith, right? And the law is a mirror. It's there to show you your sins in God's eyes, but just because it shows you your sins, it doesn't mean that it could wash your face, right? Jesus, his blood is what washes you, cl cleanses you of the sins, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So how does this all make sense with Peter's vision? You get taught that we could eat whatever we want with the food laws now that we're in Christ, now that we're saved by grace. That, you know, we live under grace. We don't live under the law. 
But if God is conforming me more and more to the image of Christ every day, which is his ultimate goal for me is that I be set apart and sanctified, that I be holy as he is holy, right? And if I'm getting close, think of it like a sliding scale. Left is, you know, you're a terrible rotten sinner who doesn't even care about your sins being sinful. Then you get, you get given the Holy Spirit, you're convicted of your sins, you repent towards God, and you begin the journey of calling out Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, and he saves you, and then he slowly transforms your heart over a period of time. And you're sliding up the scale now closer and closer to Jesus. Is the eventual goal to live as Jesus lived? Like when Jesus comes back, when, when we're living in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, will we be living according to the laws of the Old Testament? Because that's what's perfect in God's eyes. Or has God just changed his mind? And the reason why I bring this up, and it's a question is, isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? So you see how theologically this, these are thoughts that could be racing through someone's mind as they're reading these scriptures. And back to Peter with the sheet with the vision. He's pretty adamant about, no, Lord, right. I've never eaten anything unclean. Right. My Lord and Savior, who, who is the Messiah, never ate anything unclean. Right. We, we, could, we could go on about that and debate that theological question, Johnny, but I... I, you know, it's pretty simple to me, and maybe this is too simplistic, and Judah, jump in here, and Lenny, but I don't think we had or would have to follow those laws. Um, that was the old covenant. The new covenant is Jesus Christ. I agree. And and so, again, there's scholars that would might debate that, as you said, and that that's wonderful. I'm thinking of it in my mind that, yeah, that could be a question. Hey, do we, would we, you know, in the end have to follow? But I don't believe so. Jesus Christ came He's the new covenant that God gave us. That's who we believe in, and, and, and we don't need to follow the laws. And we'll discuss that more when we get to chapter 15, but that's my opinion. I think I kind of, alluding to what Johnny is saying, I feel like you're, am I, am I hearing that if you're getting closer to God, there are going to be things that you're feeling convicted to kind of like They shed off. off of you, they fall off of you. Right, so if, you get to, to everybody that could be different. Like, I... I might be convicted to, um, I've put way too much time in playing video games, or I've put way too much time in uh, going to hang out with my buddies during the week. I need to put more time in hanging out with my wife and my kids at home. Um, so it could look different for a lot of people. So if, if you're putting your relationship with God first, you're seeking him wholeheartedly, then you'll be convicted to start doing these things and shedding off those layers to be more like and what I want to dial this in on with all those theological thoughts, those big ideas, Old Covenant, New Covenant, all this stuff, I want to dial closely and focus in on the food laws again. And the reason why I want to focus on those food laws is Peter says no. God says kill and eat. Right. So a lot of people will just say, see, God told him right there, kill and eat. But as we go further down into Acts 10, what do you find? The vision isn't about food laws. The vision is about the Gentiles and God showing impartiality. The Bible says it in multiple places, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. God does not show partiality. He does not play favorites. He will show mercy on whom he will show mercy on. Moses was a murderer, for goodness sakes, right? And the list goes on and on for the people that he chose that are the people you would least expect. David, Gideon, and so on. I mean, Rahab, I mean, come on, right? So uh, Mary of Magdala, right? So the reason why is when I hear people teach and preach on that we can eat whatever we want, I agree, but I don't agree theologically from this standpoint because the vision isn't about food. The vision is about calling Gentiles not part of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God would redeem all of humanity through this one family because of who they are. No, no, no. God says, through John the Baptist actually, God could raise up these stones as children of, of Abraham. And so we need to think spiritually when the Bible tells us to think spiritually 
and we need to take things as literal as possible when the Bible is being literal, right? But this is clearly a case of it spiritually and not literally. And that was the that was the point I wanted to bring up. Well, you know, I mean, I think that it's actually both, uh, both because you know, and and I see I see where you're where you're going with it, but. Um, you know, when, when I, my, my approach to biblical interpretation is simple in that we always take the simplest, most logical explanation first. So when he like literally is saying, um, kill and eat, I take that as literal. He's literally saying, go kill this and eat this. Here's a pig. Now go eat it. Like, I mean, you know, so, so it's like we always have, unless, unless if the literal is so um, absurd that it doesn't make sense to take it literally. For example, sometimes, you know, you, you look at some of the, the, uh, the prophecies, maybe in Ecclesiastes or Daniel or, or, or Revelation, sometimes we're like, well, is this to be taken literal or figuratively? Like the dragon coming up with, you know, all these heads and whatever. Like, is that literal or figurative? Well, that's probably figurative because it seems so out of the realm of possibility. But when we can take it literally, I think that's always the first step. And it's also what you're saying. But I think, see, the, there, was a, there was a barrier um, to Peter accepting the fact that Jesus was for the Gentiles. And that barrier was the food barrier. And not only the food barrier, the, even just being able to have a conversation with somebody. So, so when God is lifting that, he's saying, look, the fence is not there anymore. Go over there. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I can't do that. And he's like, no, I want you to go do this. Go and eat the food. I mean, we see elsewhere, you know, eat, eat what's set before you. We also see um, in, uh, let's see here, Galatians 2.11, right? And this is, this is, you know, later on. Peter comes to Antioch, and Paul is saying, and I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was wrong, because when he arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with them anymore because he was afraid of criticism from them who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, and then other people followed Peter's hypocrisy, and then, you know, he goes out there and, and he calls, the, calls out Peter, um, you know, as a result of this hypocrisy. So, so I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I think it's, uh, I think it's all encompassing. And does it justify uh, gluttony, for example? No, of course not. It doesn't justify gluttony. It doesn't justify uh, the abuse of anything. I think, I think what we see, and actually, honestly, we see this all throughout the Bible in the New Testament and Old Testament, that at the end of the day, God is not so concerned with the food that we consume. He's more concerned with our heart. I believe there was some certain health reasons why he put those practices into place in the Old Testament, um, sanitary and uh, food safety. And I mean, it's like all of these things that he said not to eat are things that, you know, they, they have possibility of contamination and a variety of other things. And I mean, I personally went way down this, this path, you know, many years ago, and I, I ate pretty much a, a kosher diet for several years. Um, and, uh, and I think it was good, you know, and I didn't, it was not a judgmental thing. I, I didn't care if anyone else did it. I just felt like for me, that was a path that I wanted to take. But anyhow, coming back to it, I think that, um, that at this point, see, 
and it comes to like kind of what Dave was alluding to, and I know, I know we're all on the same page with this, but Jesus, when he said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? It's like, it's like there was a contract that was so detailed and so complex that even if somebody could maybe do it a little bit, and, 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 I, and I would beg to, to say that, you know, these people like, like the Jobs and the Zechariahs and the, the Enochs and all, I mean, if we knew them, we would have said they're, they're as messed up as we are. I mean, David, oh my goodness. I mean, you know, he was all over the place. But the thing of it is, is number one, we are made right in God's eyes. So we are made right in God's eyes, not by our actions, but by the grace of God. That's Old Testament and New Testament. They were looking forward to a sacrifice. We're looking backward to a sacrifice. So anybody that is ever called righteous in God's eyes is only called righteous in God's eyes because they were made right in God's eyes by the sacrifice of Jesus. Then, um, uh, for what I was saying before, well, anyhow, all these guys, they were, they were trying to, to do their best. We try to do our best, but we, we fell short. Oh, so then there's this complicated contract, right? And then it's just like if, if somebody, you know, if, if, if you had a, an agreement with somebody for some business venture, let's say, and, uh, and then you found yourself upside down in this agreement and you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this con. Like I just got myself backed into such a corner here. There's just so many like little intricate things that I'd have to do to ever get out of this contract. And somebody comes along and says, I got this. Boom, 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 boom. There's contract signed. Here's your new deal. Your new deal's with me though. It does not negate the old contract. It's still there, but it's now been overridden because somebody else has said, okay, here it is. It doesn't mean that we should go and murder people now. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean any of that, but what it means is that somebody fulfilled the requirements and then wrote a new contract. And then we reference that contract, the old one, and it is good for our enrichment, but it's not, you know. Well, that, that was my point. I, I believe that the, the word I would use is that the, the, the Jesus, with a covenant with Jesus Christ, supersedes the old covenant. It may still exist, as you said. No, we can't go out and murder somebody. There's a lot of things we can't do, but we have a covenant with Jesus Christ. And, and at the, the, end, the end of this, the, we're, we're, we're still in chapter 10 here. I just want to read this. After uh, verse 33, where Cornelius says he sent for Peter at once, and anyway, it says the Gentiles hear the good news. Verse 34 says, Peter replies, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Those two lines I highlighted are very important. God shows no favoritism. Which is the point. Which is the point the of all The whole point of the thing. entire Bible. And if it. you read the Old Testament, you'll find that too. God shows no favoritism. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. The righteous. It's just pretty, pretty simple, condensed right there. And those, in that, that, that one, uh, those two verses, 34 and 35 in chapter 10. Yeah, and the Bible is clear too. It's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of his mouth. Right. Right? So there's, there's multiple passages in there that, that, that discuss such things like in James it says that if a person can't bridle their own tongue then their relationship with God or their religion is worthless right Right? it's like it talks about um, it being like the rudder of a ship such a small thing with so much control right so if you're going to abide in Christ and you're worried about what you're going to eat you should probably be more more worried about what you're going to speak 
because that has way more of an impact on people's lives than what is nourishing your body. So the reason why I brought it up, though, is I, I've talked to a lot of different brothers and sisters in Christ, different walks, different denominations, um, and at different steps in their journey following after Jesus. And sometimes there's confusion, and we know that God is not the—he's a God of order. He's not the author of confusion, but there is somebody who's in the world who is an author of confusion, right? So it's important to discuss such topics like this, because as we're in thriving in the Word and we're reading it over and over and over again— it's going to attract people who want to learn the word. And when they see that we're handling the word with such care and we're combing through things like this, I think it's very important that we bring up such things. Yeah. Because there is, sadly, there is divisions and factions, mm. which so according to Galatians chapter 5, it says that those are deeds of the flesh, yeah. which yeah. are the opposites of the fruit of the spirit that we have from right. abiding in Jesus as the true. Well, and, and this is this is kind of my, my final thought on the, the issue is that when it comes to... Um, biblical interpretation or studying God's word, we have to approach it with humility and we have to approach it with our hands open, not our hands closed. Like my hands open to like, like what can I receive from this? Not what am I holding on to so strongly? You know, um, I ended up in two conversations, uh, this past week, um, just regarding end times, uh, prophecy and stuff like that, and and I'm trying to formulate my my response at least to one of them, and it's like we we hold on to these things so tightly. Sometimes it's like what is right and wrong. I'm not talking about Jesus, right? Because I mean, we think we all like land on He is the way, the truth, and the life. But when it comes to these other things, like the um some of the cultural things that Paul wrote about some of the end times prophecy things, uh, any number of things. And we hold so tightly onto them. And I think it's like, we got to look at it and just read it and just like, like absorb it. And then when there's questions that arise, then we dig deeper and we try to say, like, is there, is there more to this? You know, if something's confusing, you know, if, if Paul says women shouldn't speak in church, right? It's like, instead of just taking that and saying, well, that's the way it is. Like, maybe we just say, let me just say, like, why did he say that? Can, can I ask myself, why did he say that? Why would, why would Paul, who we see women are being empowered throughout the entire Bible, why does Paul come out there and say Don't that? Don't just write it off. Yeah. Right, so, so it's like we have to ask these questions, and some people are afraid to ask them. But then we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into the original languages, you know, like we're talking about some of these things, or I'm going to look into the culture that they were experiencing these things. I'm going to look into the time. I'm going to look into this. And then when we do this, then the Bible comes alive, and it's illuminated and then we're like, oh, that makes perfect sense why he said that. And, and now we see a harmony in scripture that it's like, well, women can be empowered and this verse could be true all at the same time. Yeah. And, and and there's a reason behind it. Instead of just being like, well, you heard what Paul said. So let's just, you know, write off women now and they can't, you know, do anything. We'll send them on a mission field, but, you know, we can't have them actually do anything that we consider substantial in the American church or whatever. And we just get so full of it. Well, that, that, that plays right into what is today called that cancel culture. Right. Without getting into that too deep, uh, what you're saying, and I agree with it 100%, is that's why I try to delve into this. We have to have context. You know, what, what, did, what Columbus did back then, you take it out of context, well, he owned slaves, or, or this person did that, all these famous people that uh, were trying to go back and cancel history and just rewrite it. You have, to take, you have to take the context, the culture, what was going on then, everything. 
just like you do in the Bible here, that, that it, it brings it alive. As you said, Judah, illuminates it, it you know, to, as opposed to just reading a verse. Every time I go in here, and I've said it many times in here, but to myself, when I'm at home reading, I go, oh, my God, I didn't pick that up at first. Let, let me read something else around. You could just keep going into this first. So, so anybody who was, you know, read the Bible in 30 days, that's not the way to do it. If you, if you do that and you say you read the Bible, that's great, but you have to, you have to, you have to illuminate it for yourselves. Please do that. Well, an example is the Simon the Tanner thing, right, yeah. that we talked about last week and brought up again this week. It's yeah. like I've read the Bible my entire life, and that never stood out to me. There's no significance at all to, oh, he's at Simon the Tanner's house. Yeah, why would they include that? Right. Because it's a big deal. It is a big deal, but I didn't realize it until, like, when we're going through this. I'm like, near death. Yeah, yeah and I'm like, I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. Like, you know, now it's like it's like this weird, you know, the, the matching quizzes that you have where it's like this word matches and you're drawing the lines. Oh, like, yeah. oh. And I'm like, like oh, there's a connect. It's a long connection. Mm. But, oh, okay. this w In that culture... They would have said, oh, Peter's standing at Simon There's the There's no New house. Testament then. Right. There's no New Testament. There's only the Tanakh, the Hebrew right. Bible, where you don't do that. And, and all the Punishable. Jews in town yeah. are like, oh, Peter's standing at Simon's house? Does he know what he does for a living? It's the law, you know? too. It's, I mean, it's, it's not just like a religion to them. It's the law of the land. If you pick up firewood on the Shabbat, they stone you to death outside of the right. city gates, right? So, But the whole reason why I brought up all this stuff is... If you get into Acts chapter 10... Land verses, the plane for us, John. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. I promise <laughs> okay, I'm going to, right? So Acts chapter 10, verses 15 and 16. Now, Peter's confused about the vision. Denies God like three times. He's like, no, no, no. Okay. Has, God has to repeat himself. God's used to doing that, right? <laughs> Peter's super confused. The, the guys knock at the door. They're like, hey, this, this Roman guy, he's inviting you to your house. Jews did not even talk to non-Jews socially. They don't go into the houses of Gentiles. That would make them unclean. Same, just like Simon the Tanner. But I'm going to read it to you like this. Finally, we get some solid answers on the question that Peter was asking himself. What does that vision even mean? That goes against everything I've ever learned that, that you and the prophets taught me, right? Now, this is Peter speaking. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common, unholy, or unclean. And it goes back to that idea of God not showing partiality. God not playing favorites. So Peter comes full circle and realizes what that vision is about. It has nothing to do with the dietary laws. It has to do with calling things common, unholy, or unclean according to the Hebraic laws. Right. So that's all that vision was about was that Gentiles are part of the promise. Yeah. And that's what gives us the right to be God's family because none of us are full-blooded Jews. Right. You know, we're all the Gentiles. We, we, we are the, yeah. the outsiders in that. And, uh, Man, what what a what a gracious thing that is. I do I do want to yeah. reserve comments on that when we get to chapter fifteen about the dietary thing. <laughs> I do want to it's coming back. On it's that. coming yeah. back. So anyhow, anyhow, we could we could probably dive uh, dive deeper on all of this stuff right now. But let's let's wrap it up. Um, great conversations. Thank you for uh, for bringing this stuff up, uh, Johnny, Dave, Lenny, um, and uh, we'll be back next week with more of our. Interesting observations. Shenanigans, <laughs> yeah, right? Shenanigans. <laughs> rabbit trails and so forth. Yeah. That's what we should have called the podcast, yeah. you know, biblical rabbit trails. Yeah, off topic. <laughs> yeah, no mercy. Yeah, yeah. No mercy. Okay, that's it. <laughs> We're done.